0: Welcome to another week of the From the Booth podcast. My name is Cody Clark. His name is Evan Eichen. And Evan, quite a bit has uh, gone down since we we last convened.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a lot has happened. Christmas is in two weeks, which sounds strange when you say it out loud. Uh, We have a college football playoff field. We've got Heisman finalists. But, Cody, I think the one place we have to start is... If you remember last offseason in baseball, what was the dominant storyline from the end of the 2018 season to the beginning of the 2019 season?
0: Um, Was it uh, Bryce Harper?
1: And more specifically, how long guys like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper had to sit on the market because they didn't get signed until late February. They had to wait until well into spring training to get signed. So as we get into the hot stove, which has been – the farthest thing from hot in the last couple of years, Uh, the New York Yankees decided, nah, we're going to go after Garrett Cole (laughs) and the terms of this deal, Cody, my God. Nine years, nine years, $324 million. He can opt out after five years and a no trade clause. So that means the New York Yankees have a top three starting pitching rotation of, in some order, Garrett Cole, Masahiro Tanaka, Luis Severino, and if you couple that with guys like Aaron Judge, Gleyber Torres, Gary Sanchez, this looks to be the most dangerous Yankees team we've had in over a decade. What do you think?
0: Well, this I think this was a huge addition for the Yankees because if you look at what they had last year and you take a look at that pitching staff – it's a solid staff. It doesn't blow you away, but it is, it is a staff yearning for a really front end number one guy. Luis Severino, probably a two. Uh, Domingo Herman pitched like the, uh, pitched like a number one last year before uh, injuries and his suspension. But the Yankees needed this type of guy at the front end. And now, you know, adding Garrett Cole, one of the reasons I like this deal, is, you know, kind of everyone gets to slide down. You know, you probably have a James Paxton who will be your number three starter. I would assume it's Garrett Cole, uh, Luis Severino, James Paxton, Masahiro Tanaka, and then Domingo Herman. You could drop Herman all the way down to your five. That would still leave... Uh, Jordan Montgomery, who was out this past year, but I think can contribute to this Yankees team. Uh, You still have Jay Happ there as well. Uh, Davy Garcia, a, a very young guy. You could uh, have him in the bullpen. You could use him as a spot starter. But this adds a legit number one guy, kind of slides everyone down. And when you look at the middle then, I really like where the middle of this Yankees rotation would be with a Severino and a Paxton and a Tanaka right there. So a monster, monster deal for Garrett Cole. We, talk, we just talked about the... Uh, the nine years 324 uh, new you know establishes new records for the the biggest guaranteed deal and uh, annual value at I believe 36 million a year for a pitcher. So a really, really big deal for Garrett Cole. Uh, he does not stay on the market very long. We didn't think he would, but uh, the Yankees moving in and recognizing Evan that this pitching staff is really what they needed to go out and bolster the top of. You talked about it with Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, with Gary Sanchez. You had D.D. Gregorius leave in free agency. But the core of this team, now adding Garrett Cole, this is exactly what the doctor ordered if you're the Yankees. And this really, really helps them out because now you've got that bona fide number one guy at the top of the rotation. And while it was... Really, the offense that struggled mightily against the Astros in the playoffs. Now you bring this guy to your side, and Garrett Cole. That that only helps the top of this rotation. And I think this is exactly what that Yankee rotation needed. Adding this kind of guy, and uh, they 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 go out, they do it. And uh, this this definitely puts the Yankees right at the top of the list. Uh, for uh for a World Series title next year
1: and normally when the Yankees do this kind of stuff uh it makes like the casual fan hate the Yankees because they can just throw more money right at... but this is a team this is a Yankees team that is really likable I, I you know what I you know what I haven't heard I haven't heard anybody say outside of like Red Sox fans yeah you know who I hate Aaron judge like he, like they've got a young likable team with glaber Torres and Severino, Judge, and their one-two punch of Severino and Cole. I mean, Severino only pitched in three games last year before he got injured, but for 2018-2019, they have a combined record of 39-13 and 13 with a combined ERA of 2.94, 546 strikeouts. They were both all-stars and finished in the Cy Young voting. The Yankees had not went to a world... They haven't won a World Series since 2009, and the addition of Garrett Cole... Has to thrust them way ahead of the pack in the American League. I mean, this might push them even past Houston, which Garrett Cole and the Astros beat this Yankees team in the ALCS last year. Uh, they lost DD. They lost DD Gregorius to the Philadelphia Phillies, but they can they could replace they could replace him. Uh, when you look at on paper, this Yankees 2020 roster. Is this enough to push them past the likes of Houston?
0: It's going to be a close call. I think that's going to be a great series. One of the reasons I would maybe tend to say yes is you've got uh, another year of mileage on Verlander, uh, Zach Greinke. Also, you know, Evan, reports have come out that the Astros may look to move on from Carlos Correa because of where his salary is at and where their salary is at in total. So, you know, if you move off of a guy like him, albeit, you know, he's been injured uh, off and on the past few years, but that is a, a very, very good young player, especially at the shortstop position. So if the Astros move on from him, you know, I, I definitely think they take a little bit of a hit there, uh, no doubt about it. I really, really like the addition of Garrett Cole to the Yankees. You know, people are going to say, you know, Cole, he's only got one 20-win season, Uh, he he's, he's lost 20 in a year. I I believe his lifetime ERA is, is over 3.2, which is still a pretty good number, but people will, uh, people will look at that. But the last couple of years, I think he's been top three in uh whip and, and some of those categories in ERA as well. You know, this is a guy and especially last year, really showing you what he can do with the Astros. So Evan, You know, it's hard to say, and I think the Yankees' lack of postseason success here recently does play into this a little bit, but maintaining the core of their team, adding a guy like Garrett Cole, I wouldn't think the Yankees would be done uh, adding some, some different pieces here and there to round out the roster. It'd be pretty hard for me to go against what this Yankees team can do, especially if they can... They can get some consistency out of those bats. Uh, it looks like the pitching staff is going to be just fine.
1: The Yankees and Aaron Boone are going to have a scary team going into 2020 if everything goes the way that we project. And the one important thing about Garrett Cole is that he's thrown over 200-plus innings the last couple of years, and he hasn't had a, a devastating arm injury. You don't have to worry about, well, Garrett Cole, he missed a year because of Tommy John. That hasn't happened to him yet. So he has stayed healthy his entire career, whether it's a Pirate or as an Astro. So moving on to the college football, we have a playoff field, Cody. But before we get to the playoffs, there is still one college game that needs to happen. And that is the annual tilt between Army and Navy. Navy is ranked 23rd in the country with a 9-2 and record. Army, 5-7, and seven, will not go to a bowl game. I feel like Navy, just on paper, should win this game, but this is an Army team that went into Ann Arbor and took Michigan to overtime earlier in the year. Uh, Who do you have in the Army-Navy game?
0: Malcolm Perry, you know, a kid that I really like. If you look at uh, what he's been able to do, uh, 1,500 yards on the ground, 19 touchdowns. Uh, He has really, really excelled for this team. And Evan, he's shown that he can take the top off the de- off of the defense every now and again. He's over a thousand yards passing as well, six touchdowns through the air also. So you know this dual threat uh, that Perry gives you, and we we know that Navy with their offense and Perry with his legs can hurt you, but we've seen them be able to air it out every now and again, and that's been a reason why they've been able to get to a nineteen and two record or a nine and two record excuse me and you mentioned it earlier a, a, a ranking of 21. this is a really really good football team and I think they get it done against Army for sure and uh, Na- you know Evan Navy's one of those teams where you know it, it's difficult to prepare for them and it's it's just for some reason they give uh, a lot of teams trouble in terms of you know when they when they'll go against some of the more blue blood programs. Uh, And I I see Navy getting it done this year against Army.
1: Army has won three years in a row, but I think this is the year that it ends. So Navy is ranked 21st in the AP Top 25 and 23rd in the college football playoff. And speaking of college football playoff, the four-team field is set. Going into last weekend's conference championship games, it was a three-team race between Utah, Georgia, and the winner, well, really a four-team race, in the winner of Baylor and Oklahoma. Utah lost Friday night, so that knocked them out. Baylor looked like was going to get blown out by Oklahoma, but they were able to come back and make that game interesting, and then Georgia lost to LSU, so the four-spot went to Oklahoma. The top four are as follows. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma I feel like this year the committee nailed it when it comes to matchups and who everybody wanted to see in terms of teams playing each other. Do you think they got it right?
0: Yes, I think they 100% got it right. It would have been very interesting, Evan, to see you know if, if Utah had won their game or um, a couple of different things had shaken up. But I think the committee absolutely got it right. Uh, LSU number one. You know, the LSU-Ohio State thing, uh, you know, I agree that Ohio State's continued uh, dominance, consistent dominance throughout the whole year, I I think would lend them to have an argument at the number one record. But I just – I don't know how you can argue against the schedule that LSU played and winning every single game, making Georgia look foolish in the SEC title game like they almost didn't even belong on the field with LSU – at uh, large portions of that game. So I think the co- I think the committee got it 100% right. Clemson at three, you know, uh, a weak schedule, but the ACC champ and a team that is one of the top three or four in college football, absolutely. Uh, Oklahoma as well, you know, that crop of, you know, we've been talking about it, Oklahoma, Georgia, Oregon, that Baylor, Wisconsin, that whole group that was right there, you know, when you looked at it, Oklahoma was struggling, but they they really came on late. A uh, couple of nice wins against Baylor, and they move into the four spot. And I think they deserved that spot. And Evan, you look at you know you look at if you know I've been a proponent of an eight team playoff, and when you look at it this year, I think the committee really really did a good job because. You know, this is the this is not really the year that I could argue uh, for the 18 playoff. Uh, You had uh, Georgia's at five, Oregon finishes six, Baylor seven, and Wisconsin eight. Baylor uh, dropped a couple of games to Oklahoma. Uh, Schedule was not very good. Oregon had a nice win over Utah. Justin Herbert has been a little up and down. When we thought uh, he would really have a breakout uh, big season this year for the Ducks. Georgia looked pretty uninspired uh, against LSU Wisconsin falling to Ohio State Wisconsin with three losses so this isn't really the year that I could uh, I could argue for the uh, 18 team playoff I think the top four uh, LSU Ohio State Clemson Oklahoma clearly uh, head and shoulders uh, the top four teams in the country so I absolutely think they got it right and uh, really 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 looking forward to these uh, these matchups coming up
1: well, I I differ on this. I think the 4 team playoff is just fine the way it is. I mean, most years, I mean, most years teams in like the 9, 10, 11 range don't really have much of a case. This year it was Florida, Penn State and Utah and you could make a you can make a case for probably two out of the three teams, but I'm fine with four just the way it is. I think eight invites a lot more criticism and a lot more arguments just think of this cody college basketball the ncaa tournament we put in 68 (laughs) teams a year and people still argue on the margins over who should and should not get in arguing that well i can't believe that this school and this school and this school didn't get in so the idea that we're going to go to eight and everything's going to be perfect is insane because as soon as like Like this year, if we went to eight, Alabama still wouldn't get in. So now all the Alabama fans, that think they got shafted. They didn't get in number 8 were like, well, then we got to go to 16. And I mean, that's kind of why I argue against it is because most years you can't really make a case for like the ninth or 10th team to have a case. I'm really excited about this LSU Oklahoma game because Jalen Hurts and... I want to see Lincoln Riley and this offense go against Joe Burrow and this LSU offense. This could be one of those games where you can walk away for a couple of minutes to go get something for the fridge and both teams have scored a touchdown.
0: Oh, no doubt. I mean, you've got the the nation's uh, two of the nation's best offenses. Evan, I was
1: surprised that the
0: spread on this one is LSU by 10. Uh, the opening line from Caesars, this LSU, a 10-point favorite uh, in the Peach Bowl, LSU versus Oklahoma. You know, I know Oklahoma's defense uh, has struggled this year, but, I mean, it's not like LSU's has exactly been extremely, extremely dominant. I mean, I you know, Oklahoma's one of the worst—a uh, year ago, one of the worst in the Big 12. They, they have been better, but LSU is— giving up more yards, more points. Now, granted, some of that is because the offense is so much better than now the defense is on the field a little bit longer. LSU has scored uh, quickly, much more quickly on a lot of drive than, drives uh, than we've seen LSU be able to in the past. So some of that, you know, some of the numbers that LSU has given up defensively, you kind of adjust for the offense But, you know, it's not like LSU has an an Auburn-esque defense. So I was surprised to see a a 10-point LSU favorite uh, on that line there. I don't know about you where you stand on that.
1: LSU, their defense has given up 35 or more points four times this year. They gave up 38 to Vandy, 37 to Ole Miss, 41 to Alabama, and then they gave up 38 to texas in that game in early september so this is a lsu defense that you can score on i mean lsu they had their handful of games where they beat texas a&m 50 to 7 and they beat utah state 42 to 6 and all that but this is not an lsu team where this isn't chip kelly at oregon where, where they're sitting guys early third quarter this has the makings to be one of the highest-scoring college football playoff games in recent memory. And then we also get a rematch of Ohio State and Clemson. Last time these two teams met in the playoffs was a couple of years ago. Clemson won that game 31 to nothing. I feel that's not going to happen again.
0: No, I do not see a 31-0. Uh, opening line from Caesars is Clemson by a couple of points. They're a minus-two Uh favorite in that game that is the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl the other semifinal that Evan's talking about Ohio State Clemson yeah Evan I don't see that happening Justin Fields JK Dobbins uh, they have been dominant on offense Ohio State has and you've got a guy on defense in Chase Young uh, to go along with that defensive secondary but you've got Chase Young coming off the edge Uh, Clemson's defense, not as dominant as they have been the past couple of years. Still a pretty solid unit, but yeah, I I do not see a shutout in this one. J.K. Dobbins, uh, I believe he ran for over 500 yards combined uh, in games that they played against uh, and beat Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan. So J.K. Dobbins, big-time player. Uh, you know Justin Fields as the quarterback is going to have a big influence on this game. But I think J.K. Dobbins is a guy at running back that is really going to be a catalyst for this Ohio State team. This is going to be a good game as well. Clemson coming out the two-point favorite. I was a little surprised by that. Uh, maybe, you know, as the defending champs, you know, they get a, a little bit of a nod there. But yeah, I, I just, there's no chance we see 31 nothing in this game, Evan.
1: If we do something, has gone horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> right. But this is this is a chance for that Clemson team. When you've got Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, T. Higgins, can this Ohio State defense, with guys like Jeff, how do you pronounce his name? Like Okuda, Okuda? Yeah, uh, the corner.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure Okuda is how I would say it. But apologies and to man, him. I don't know if that's right.
1: And then you got Chase Young going after Trevor Lawrence. I want to see, can this Ohio State defense shut down a Clemson offense? And if they can't, then we could be in for two high-scoring, fast-paced games where the LSE-Oklahoma game could be the first one to 50 wins. Ohio State, Clemson, I could see that being a... 28 26 or maybe 31 27 kind of game where it's close. Whoever has the ball last is going to win, but it's not going to be the high scoring arena league esque score that we're maybe getting from LSU Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point, Evan. I think a thing something to watch in this game, and you know, we we talk about it all the time, we'll blow it out of proportion sometimes. But the experience of these two teams, I think, is gonna come is gonna come into and and play a role in this game. When you look at Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, Higgins, Ross, uh, the running back Travis Etienne, Dabo Swinney, they have been there and done that in the postseason, in these in these uh, playoff games. And the postseason in the playoffs is is just a different animal. And on the Ohio State side, Ryan Day is his first uh, in his first year. Justin Fields is a first-year starting quarterback. You know, Urban Meyer was uh, you know he was a veteran. He was uh, you know had been around the playoffs, been there, done that. This Ohio State team, largely, that isn't the case. So I, I think that'll be something interesting to watch as well. I definitely, you know, we're not going to see thirty-one nothing for Clemson. This Ohio State team uh, and and the 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 defensive backs they can throw at these Clemson receivers, and with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State is in a really really good position for this game. Uh, both of the both of the games I think are going to be uh, a very very good contest. I was surprised LSU by ten. That that number really jumped out to me. This game not being played until the LSU Oklahoma game, there is 17 days until that game. Both of these teams are going to be scheming for one another. You know, Vegas Vegas always knows. Maybe maybe it'll uh, play out that way. But I see LSU. Uh, I see LSU Oklahoma as a as a touchdown eight point game. You know, last guy with the ball might win it.
1: I am really excited for LSU Oklahoma. Please, get. I will not miss a second of that game. I'm so excited for LSU and Oklahoma. Speaking of LSU and Oklahoma, we've got Heisman Trophy finalists scoring off in that game. Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Chase Young, and Justin Fields were all Heisman Trophy finalists. Joe Burrow is the overwhelming favorite to win the Heisman. Cody, it's not a question of Will Joe Burrow win the Heisman? It's how much will Joe Burrow win the Heisman by?
0: Boy, that's I mean he is he's impossible to argue with this year. You look at what he's done, Evan. Seventy-eight percent passer, seventy-seven point nine. Uh, he has thrown less than one hundred incompletions in four hundred and thirty-nine attempts. Nearly five thousand yards, forty-seven hundred. Uh, 48 touchdowns, six interceptions. It's really, really good it's really, really hard to argue against what Joe Burrow and LSU have done. And Evan, it's gonna be a landslide for Burrow. You know, with with a lot of these awards, you know, we love the story and and we kind of look for that that storyline. You know, I think uh, you know, we do that in the NBA, you know, when when Giannis won it, uh, when a lot of different guys Come out on top in these awards, oftentimes they have the best story. And you look at LSU, Burrow coming from Ohio State, uh, wasn't able to win the job there, goes to LSU. You know, we've all been watching football for as long as we can remember, and watching LSU's offense was like going to the dentist at times. And now Burrow has them you know nearly 5000 yards he almost threw 50 touchdowns LSU scoring points left and right something uh we're not quite accustomed to seeing from an LSU offense so i think the story around Burrow what he's done is is really really difficult to uh really really difficult to argue with i don't know if it'll be unanimous i don't think it will be but boy it might be pretty close cuz it, it is really really hard to argue with what uh, with what Joe Burrow has done this year.
1: The NCAA record for highest, mar- for largest margin of victory in voting was I don't care what the NCAA says. Reggie Bush still won a Heisman. I don't care what the NCAA says. But since that technically doesn't count, the highest percentage of first place votes, Troy Smith won with 91.6% of the vote. And then Marcus Mariota got 91% of the vote in 2014. This feels like Joe Burrow is probably going to get 95, 96% of the vote. Really the only one that has a chance of beating him is Justin Fields, who, listen to this stat line, Cody, 40 touchdown passes, one interception.
0: Yeah, no, I was looking at Fields. You know, he's had a great year as well, Uh, 68% passer, um, almost three thousand yards. Yeah, forty touchdowns, one interception. That is that is remarkable. Uh I, just, I you know, I agree with you. I, I think we're gonna see Joe Burrow ninety three, ninety four, ninety five percent of the vote. I think Fields is right there. You know, unfortunately for those guys, you you'll have people voting for Fields and you'll have people voting for Chase Young. So it's kind of tough that they're, you know, they'll cannibalize each other a little bit in terms of taking some votes away from each other. Uh, Chase Young, 44 tackles this year, 16 and a half sacks, 6 forced fumbles. He has been a one-man wrecking crew. Uh, on defense from his defensive end spot so unfortunately for those two guys they're going to take votes from each other but even if they were to stand alone uh you know you're you're not beating what Joe Burrow has done this year for the LSU Tigers
1: he's completing almost 80% of his passes which is almost impossible
0: that's remarkable that's remarkable
1: the record is officially Reggie Bush with ninety one point seven percent of the vote. I don't care what the NCAA says; he still won the Heisman. I you
0: agree. Cannot
1: take a, you cannot take away my memories of that team, and what he did against Fresno State should have been just a crime. Like it, it, that that one game where the <laughs> USC played, like the police should have run onto the field and just stopped the game. Like when you look, when you look at Heisman Trophy voting. So here are the results of the last few years. Lamar Jackson won with seventy nine point five percent of the vote. Baker Mayfield at eighty six percent. Kyler Murray had seventy eight percent. If Joe Burrow does not get at least ninety percent of the Heisman vote, I will be stunned.
0: Uh, I would also be stunned. Uh, I don't think we'll have to be stunned because I I think it's going to happen. But I, I agree. I would be I would be shocked. Uh, the schedule that they played, the way that Joe Burrow performed. I just don't see any way that he gets less than 90% of the vote and takes home uh, this year's Heisman Trophy.
1: He's going to win the Heisman Trophy and almost certainly is going to be the number one pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, Joe Burrow looks like he's headed to Cincinnati. Speaking of Cincinnati, Cody, this (laughs) Patriots-Bengals story is just strange. So here's a little bit of a background for you. Last Sunday, the Bengals played the Browns. There was an employee of a production company run by Bob Craft, run by Robert Kraft. He was the. I'm going to try and phrase this in a way that doesn't just sound insane, but they were doing a feature for a short video series of the Do Your Job Patriots, and the person that they were profiling was an advanced scout and allegedly they were credentialed by the Cleveland Browns however the Bengals and the league at large were not notified of the video crews presence and they allegedly filmed the Bengals sideline for several minutes they were tipped off and the NFL is conducting an investigation Cody are we looking at Spygate 2.0
0: Oh, I don't know, Evan. You know, you remember some of these other scandals, Deflate Gate, and that kind of stuff. You know, it started. It started out. You know, it started out small. People kind of laughed, and then things snowballed from there. You know, this. You you look at you look at what was happening here. You're right. The Do Your Job series. It was an advanced scout. You know, apparently there was a camera set up uh, on a tripod that was trained at the Bengals. Uh, sideline and you know the scout you know something that they're doing you know they're watching the other team they're watching you know different personnel groups run in and out, uh, run in and out uh, substitutions that sort of thing different situations you know they're watching that but you had the patriots filming those things you know for b-roll or for you know whatever purpose uh, why you would need to film the Bengals if you're the Patriots in terms of their regular season game coming up is beyond me, but clearly they had video crew there allegedly for the do-your job documentary. Um so I guess freelancers were hired to shoot the footage. Uh, the the producer of the crew was a full is a full-time Patriots TV employee. Uh Per what I've been reading on uh, Nesson. the producer I guess was not aware of the league's rules forbidding, uh, or excuse me, forbidding, you know, shooting that footage from the press box. Uh, he, like I said, like we said, wanted to use the footage as B roll. You know, Evan, it's going to come down to the NFL is going to watch what's on that SD card, and I guess they're going to see what uh, Roger Goodell and company is going to see what happened. You know, I don't I don't know if this is a big deal. You know, you had Bill Belichick do his weekly radio appearance. He said, you know, we have nothing to do with those people. We don't see the footage that they produce, whatever. You know, you expected that. Uh, you expected him to say that. So I don't exactly know what to make of this situation. You know, you just look at it on its face and you can't imagine that if you're the New England Patriots, you would be trying to, steal signs and different things from the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, the way they've played. But you look at it and the Patriots have struggled. And so you're saying, hey, you know, you can't take any games. You, you say you can't take any gar- games for granted. Cincinnati's been in quite a few games. Andy Dalton's back starting at quarterback. You never know what could happen in the NFL. So it's one of those weird situations. I don't think it's going to end up being that big of a deal from a discipline from the league perspective. But um, boy, I tell you, I wish uh, I wish we could see what was on that uh, SD card, because that would be uh, I think that would be pretty interesting.
1: The Athletic reported that the Patriots have admitted that they were inappropriately filming the sideline, and that they offered to delete the footage, which is exactly what they said during Spygate was. Well, yeah, we'll get rid of the footage if you guys want us to, but out of all of the teams to videotape, come on. The one in twelve Bengals. <laughs> if you were gonna cheat, wouldn't you have cheated a couple weeks ago, going against Lamar Jackson?
0: Well, no, I I totally agree, Evan. I, I just I you wouldn't think that uh, you wouldn't think that that would be something you'd need to do against the Bengals. But like I said, you know, I I think it's funny that you know you that re- you saw that report uh, you just told us where he said he would delete the footage. You know, if you, you know, if you're a Patriots apologist, if you're on their side here, you know, hey, he offered to delete it. He didn't know. You know, some of these guys were freelancers. They didn't know about the policy. You know, honest mistake. If you're totally, you know, conspiracy theorists, if you're against the Patriots, if you think they cheated here, you're like, oh, that's an admission of guilt. You know, hey, we'll just delete it and we'll just call it, you know, we'll just call it good. Uh, so... Who knows what's going to happen? Like I said, I don't think it's going to be something that's super serious that the league comes down on. But with the past history that the Patriots have had, I guess you never know. But I can't imagine, you know, Goodell going, oh boy, yep, Patriots, you definitely cheated to uh, get a leg up on the Cincinnati Bengals who are uh, have one win this year.
1: <laughs> and naturally, Twitter and the internet are undefeated. The memes making fun of this s- story were... Unmatched. Once again, internet, you are undefeated. So moving on to week 15, there's only three weeks left in the season and the race for the playoff spots in both conferences are getting a lot more interesting. It seemed like a few years ago that the NFC field was a little, we kind of knew who was going to get in, but now you look up suddenly The Rams are one game back of the Minnesota Vikings for a wild card spot. Meanwhile, on the AFC side of things, the Titans and the Steelers are in a fight for the number six spot, for the number six spot. Did you know that Tennessee, since week 10, is the highest scoring team in the league?
0: Tennessee has played really, really well, Evan. They made that switch uh, to Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback, and uh, Ryan Tannehill has earned himself – a good chunk of change here taking over.
1: (laughs) Since Ryan Tannehill took over, they're averaging over 30 points a game. They are the, they are right now. One of the highest powered offenses. Yep. Ryan Tannehill and the Titans since week, since week 10 are the highest scoring team in the NFL. Um, That is a sentence that I just said out loud (laughs) and it feels it feels strange to say it. No, it does. So the Tennessee t- the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans are still battling for the AFC South. They will play each other twice in the final three weeks, while the Tennessee Titans will play the New Orleans Saints. In between that and the Houston Texans will get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just from an entertainment standpoint, which of those teams should win the AFC South? And do you think they'll both get in and the Steelers will be left uh, going home empty-handed?
0: Oh, man, that's a good question, Evan.
1: You know, this is one of those, you know, the, the
0: Texans are a team that just baffle me. You know, with Deshaun Watson, uh, with uh, Hopkins out wide, you just feel like the Texans should be better than they are. And yet you look at it and, and Houston has, you know, these these weird lulls and these... You know, they lose games they shouldn't. They're 8-5 right now, tied with Tennessee in terms of a record-wise. They win the tiebreak right now based on uh, division winning percentage, but as you mentioned, they're going to play each other a couple of times here down the stretch, so this race is going to be decided by those head-to-head matchups. Uh, they are in Tennessee this week, then uh, Houston is at Tampa Bay, and then they host Tennessee to close out the year. The the Texans are just this odd team, you know. With Deshaun Watson, Carlos Hyde has run well this year. DeAndre Hopkins, you know, defensively Houston struggles. Uh, they they traded away Jadevian Clowney. Evan, I, I really like what this Tennessee football team is doing. I think they I think they they're they're, they're going to be able to uh, overtake this Texans team. If you look at what Derrick Henry, the running back, has done since Ryan Tannehill took over. Evan, if you look at the performances for him, he had one 100-yard game that was uh, against Atlanta back in late September uh, through the first uh, 10 weeks of the season. If you look at what Derrick Henry has done here recently, uh, 100 yards, two touchdowns against Oakland, 149 yards, a touchdown against Indy, 159 and two touchdowns against Jacksonville, 188 and two touchdowns against Kansas City. Tannehill has given this team a legitimate passing threat, and that has opened up things tremendously for Derrick Henry. I really like what they're able to do running the football. I think they're going to be able to control some of these games, particularly this weekend in Tennessee. You know, I I would side with the Texans, I guess, for Deshaun Watson, you know, if if you had to to if I was picking there, I would trust Deshaun Watson more. But I got news for you: the way that this Tennessee Titans team is playing, the way they're running the football, it's going to be very interesting. It might be hard to argue uh, against this Tennessee team if they're able to go in and uh, take down Houston this weekend.
1: Houston was a team that they were coming off, and we and I talked about this last week on the show. How would they respond coming off that emotional win, you know, against New England, and they went up against Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos and laid an egg. I think that's the only way I could describe it. They laid an egg. That game was not. It was not as close as the final score said it was. I think that's a that's a fair assessment. But we also got the game of the year last week the showdown, the much-anticipated showdown between the 49ers and the Saints. And I came away a lot more impressed with the 49ers and the Saints because this is a 49ers team that had not allowed 27 points in a game this season. They had allowed 27 points by halftime. Drew Brees throws for five touchdowns. And Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers offense proved – that if they need to win in a shootout in the 40s, they can do it. Were you more impressed with the New Orleans offense for what they did against that 49ers defense or Jimmy G in the offense matching New Orleans score for score and then winning at the end? I would
0: probably say the 49ers, Evan. Um, I was very surprised and very encouraged by what uh, New Orleans was able to do. You know, this is a team that has not, you know, super, super explosive. So to see what they did against the San Francisco defense was really, really good. But I was looking at, as you mentioned, Jimmy Garoppolo and what he would be able to do because he had to step up because Drew Brees had one of the best games I've ever seen Drew Brees have uh, in terms of productivity. And Garoppolo had to match it uh, for the 49ers to stay in the game and have a chance to win. And he did. Uh, It was a great performance by Jimmy G., And it was a really, really big game, I think, for his confidence as well because, you know, if you look at a lot of his other games, uh, there was a a big-time performance in a win against Arizona, uh, a 400-yards, four-touchdown game. But outside of that, he mostly was, uh, you know, that that game manager type of guy. But he showed you that he can go out and win a game, uh, 26 of 35, 350, four touchdowns, uh, through, did throw one interception, but a 74% passer on the day, that's what you're going to need out of Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, you're going to have a time when the defense is struggling and the quarterback, uh, you've got to step up and be the guy to lead your team to a victory. Coincidentally enough, Evan, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. You're also going to have times where... You know your defense or your special teams is going to have to win a game for you. And we've seen uh, the 49ers be able to do that this year, but we hadn't really seen it from Jimmy G. But this was a really, really big contest for Garoppolo uh, for his confidence and for the 49ers as well, vaulting back up to that number one spot uh, in the NFC playoff standings, 11-2, and atop the NFC West, and right now atop of the NFC as a whole. So a very, very big game. I would say long-winded, long-winded answer there. I would say the 49ers because I was just really impressed with what Jimmy G is, uh, was able to do against the Saints defense that is very good as well.
1: This was a game that the people who still didn't believe in the 49ers were like, well, with that defense, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't need to do a whole lot. What what's this team gonna look like when the chips are down and they need Jimmy to to step up? And I feel like that game should have put those people to bed. What he did against that 49er against that Saints defense and also George Kittle with like four or five Saints on his back and had a guy grab his face mask for about 20 yards down the field. George Kittle is a
0: Yeah, George Kittle, you know, you look at the weapons that they have. George Kittle is phenomenal for the 49ers. Evan, we can't understate the value that Emmanuel Sanders has added for this 49ers team. You know, they bring him in. I believe he's 32 years old, but he has been very, very productive. He gives them a legitimate threat and, you know, can take some of the pressure off of George Kittle. And I think that's that's you know, something that's understated is the addition of him, you know, because outside of Sanders, pretty young offensive team in terms of the wide receiver spot, in terms of George Kittle. And so you look at the addition of Emmanuel Sanders, and I think that's a guy that they've added uh, that's really, really played a big role in what they've been able to do. Uh, you know. Also, you look at what Raheem Mostert has done here in the past couple of weeks. You know, Matt Breida has been in and out. Breida's a very solid running back. Uh, has lightning speed as well, but he's been in and out with ankle injury. Uh, Tevin Coleman has done a nice job, but he's not really your workhorse back. And Mostert has come in uh, and really, really given them a workhorse type of guy. And if he is able to keep that up, Evan, it's going to be very, very hard to stop this team because they play good defense, they have a legit tight end, uh, a a number one option at wide receiver. It's very, very difficult to take both of those guys away. And if you do, they can line up and run the football down your throat. So uh, a very big performance for San Francisco and really, really, I thought they showed the rest of the league, hey, we are the favorites in the NFC We can win a bunch of different ways, and we just took down the Saints. I think that was a big, big performance for San Fran. I think that's going to go a long, long way for them uh, here down the stretch of the season.
1: Their last three games are home against the Falcons and Rams, and then they will end the season in Seattle on December 29th. Cody, let's look at some playoff clinching scenarios for NFL Week 15. There are a few teams that have already punched their tickets with playoff spots, Kansas City has won the AFC West already. The Saints have (laughs) won the NFC South. Meanwhile, there are a few divisions up for grabs. Every other division is up for grabs, but here are the teams that can clinch this week. The Buffalo Bills have the simplest clinching scenario. Beat Pittsburgh. All they have to do to, to earn a spot in the playoffs is beat Pittsburgh on Sunday night. The New England Patriots... Also win and they're in. If they beat the Bengals, which almost all of us expect them to, <laughs> they, they will get in. Green Bay can clinch with a playoff, can clinch a playoff spot with a win, and the LA Rams losing against the Dallas Cowboys this Sunday. Meanwhile, San Francisco can get in multiple ways. They can get in winning outright against Atlanta or the Rams losing to the Cowboys. Then finally, the Seattle Seahawks can get in multiple multiple ways, a win and a and a win by either wait, a win and a loss by either the Rams, Vikings, or cowbo the Rams, Vikings, or Packers gets them in. Cody, how many teams are we going to see clinch a playoff spot this season? There are four teams that can do it. How many clinch this week?
0: I'd say probably. A couple of them for sure. Uh, I think the Patriots for sure. Uh, I do like the Bills against the Steelers, although that's going to be a tough one. I'll say we get, I'll say we get two or three of them that take care of business. Evan, we were talking about the Steelers, and you know this coming down to the AFC playoff race. Pittsburgh eight and five. Tennessee 8-5, and five. we've talked about the job that Mike Tomlin has done with this Pittsburgh Steelers team. Let's just assume that Houston is able to fend off Tennessee for the uh, AFC South crown and keep the four spot right now. Who is the more interesting six seed for you in the AFC? Would it be the Titans or would it be the Steelers?
1: Well, we also can't discount the possibility that the Titans win the AFC South and Houston falls to being a six seed opportunity i i don't think it's likely but if i had to choose between so are you asking me on the assumption that houston wins the afc south
0: yes i am i think it's going to be close but i i do think they are the better team and i think they eke it out
1: okay so on the assumption that houston wins the afc south who would i rather see i would rather see tennessee what can Ryan Tannehill and this resurgent newfound Titans offense do in a playoff scenario they'll probably get they'll probably get either Houston or the AFC West champion they'll probably either get Houston or Kansas City in the first round and they've already beaten Kansas City earlier this year and they will have faced Houston twice already and Teams generally don't win all three meetings when division rivals meet in the playoffs. So, assuming Houston takes care of business and wins the AFC South, I want to see Tennessee as the six seed, and I hope I get it.
0: Yeah, you you very well might. I, I'm on the I'm on the flip side. Uh, I am 100% behind the Pittsburgh Steelers and what Mike Tomlin has done with this team. You know, I definitely think Tennessee, much more consistent at quarterback when you look at it, much more consistent at running back when you look at both of those teams and how they might fare in the playoffs. But just something about the way the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing defensively, how they're playing on special teams. I trust Tennessee's offense more, Evan, but there's just something about this Pittsburgh Steelers team that I like and that if you are able to get in as the sixth seed – you know, not a team that you want to play, really either of those teams, not teams that you want to play if you're one of those top uh, top few seeds. Both of them can hurt you in different ways and would make for a very, very difficult uh, playoff matchup in the first weekend.
1: We still have three weeks to go in the NFL season. A lot of playoff spots are up for grabs, and we're going to find out who's in, who's out. And there are... A lot, and speaking of playoff spots, I mean, do we have to let the NFC East in the playoffs? <laughs>
0: Unfortunately, Could we, we got to let do, one do of them do. We yeah.
1: have to. So, the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night dressed three wide receivers. By the end of the game, the only healthy wide receiver left was Greg Ward, who was a college quarterback. <laughs> and was playing in the AAF before he wound up in Philadelphia. The Giants had 29 yards of offense in the second half in overtime. Meanwhile, the Dallas Cowboys recently let go of their kicker, Brett Maher, and get the LA Rams on Sunday. Cody, since someone has to win the, A- the NFC East because they can't all lose, who would you rather have in the playoffs since we're – apparently forced to take one
0: (laughs) you know Evan I would I would rather have I guess the Cowboys uh, because from an entertainment standpoint I think they have a ton of weapons offensively they have been pretty solid defensively uh, at times this year you know with Dak Prescott with Ezekiel Elliott Amari Cooper all of the talent they have on defense, Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch. I think they would be a more fun team to watch. This Philly team has just been absolutely decimated, as you mentioned. Alshon Jeffrey probably going to now miss the rest of the year. You saw our, our Whiteside go out late with a, what looked like a hamstring injury, so you never know what's going to happen there. They pretty much have Zach Ertz, and that's it. Uh, And so you'll you'll be able to key on him and maybe take him away. So, Evan, for me, it would be the Cowboys. I'd rather see the Cowboys get in from a viewing perspective because I think they could be a very interesting team. But you look at what they have. They have the Rams this weekend, and then they travel to Philly to take on the Eagles before uh, getting the Redskins to close out the year. Philly gets the, the Redskins, then the Cowboys, then the Giants. So while it was a narrow victory for the Eagles in overtime on Monday night against the Giants, they have a little bit easier, uh, easier road because the Cowboys have to play the Rams this weekend, and the Rams are playing so much better here as of late. So I would pick the Dallas Cowboys as the team out of those two that I would want to see in the playoffs just because they're healthier right now, uh, and I think they would present a much more difficult matchup for somebody than the Philadelphia Eagles. But you've got to get past the Rams to do it this weekend because, you know, you've got the uh, you've like I said, you've got Rams, uh, Eagles, and Redskins. If you're the Cowboys, both of these teams right now six and seven, they're sub 500. Evan, we might see somebody finish. Uh, we might see both of these teams finish sub 500. Uh, in which case. Uh, you know, depending on what happens in that head to head matchup, the Cowboys have already beat the Eagles. Uh the Cowboys have already beat the Eagles once this year. I believe it was like 37 to 10 or something. They blew them out. The next game comes in Philly, gonna be interesting to watch. I would pick the Cowboys though, but boy, neither of those teams wants to uh neither of t- those teams is playing like they want to get in, that's for sure.
1: They are looking like a team where it's like This reminds me of. I don't think you watch South Park, do you?
0: Uh, I did not. I I was not a South Park watcher. I'm not a South Park watcher. There
1: is an episode of South Park where the kids play baseball over the summer, and both teams are trying to lose (laughs) because they don't want to keep playing baseball into the summer. And it turns out that the, the the team that had you know Cartman, Stan, and Kyle that they were so like both teams are trying to throw the game so they could have summer vacation instead of playing baseball, but they just kept, this is what it feels like. It feels like both teams don't want to go to the playoffs, but one of them has to like, this is what it feels like for me. And we almost got one of the greatest moments in sports Josh McCown was going to play wide receiver for the Eagles on Monday night. 40 <laughs> year old Josh McCown was going to line up at wide receiver because they didn't have anybody left. I, 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 I never knew I wanted something that I didn't get until now. I wanted to see what would happen if 40 year old Josh McCown tried to catch a slant against that New York giants team. Um, like the, just the memes alone would have broke would have broke Twitter.
0: I got news for you. You know the Eagles aren't out of the woods yet with that happening. You know they've got Zach Ertz. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Arthaga Whiteside? You said uh, you mentioned Greg Ward Jr., who was a quarterback, had a, had a couple of nice catches late in that game. But Philly has been absolutely decimated. Their de- their defensive secondary is atrocious. Uh, we saw the Giants and Darius Slayton be able to absolutely light them up. You know anything can happen when those two teams uh, square off. It's just you know the the way Philly that roster looks right now. I would I would say it's the Cowboys, but having lost three straight, uh, the Cowboys do not feel like they want to win it either. So uh, you know I I don't quite know what to uh, what to make of those two teams. And Evan speaking and staying with football. We talked about this last time at the end of our episode. We'll end our episode once again on this. Uh, The XFL released their uniforms and helmets for all eight teams uh, coming up in February 2020. I'm looking at them right now. Which is your favorite of the uniform combos that the XFL uh, debuted the other day?
1: Uh, First things first, the Seattle Dragons will be hearing from UAB's legal department very soon (laughs) If, 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 if they haven't already. Uh, the uniforms for me, uh, I was a little bit underwhelmed, honestly. They all kind of feel really similar to each other, especially from a number font standpoint. Uh, in terms of helmets, the dragons have the best helmet until UAB inevitably sues them and then they have to change it. Uh, I really like the I really like the New York Guardians look. Uh, the LA Wildcats made a nice use of the red and orange. Uh, all in all, the uniforms were fine. It's just that I would have liked to see a little bit more deviation from a number font perspective. I think they all look I think all in all, the uniforms look fine. If I had to pick a favorite, Top to bottom, it's probably a tie between the Guardians and the Dragons. The Dragons have the best helmet, though.
0: The Dragons do have the best helmet. I am a big fan of the Renegades uniforms. Big fan of that baby blue color uh, with the Renegade Bandit guy on the helmet. Uh, that baby blue black uh, with those just the, the few red accents. Big, big fan of the Renegades. That would be my uh, one seed if I was picking out of that group. Uh, but I do like the Dragons uh, and what they what theirs looks like the vipers you know you, you see the picture and it's just like the vipers in that green and goldish yellow whatever that color is and lime green and darker green that's uh they got an interesting one going on
1: the i was wondering how they were going to make that work with like the lime green and the dark green and they made it look passable i mean like that, that color palette sort of handcuffs you a little bit you can't really do a whole lot with it i think the concept of each team have instead of just one central game ball each team has their own game ball looks pretty interesting that was
0: cool you saw i don't know if you saw the video but pat mcafee had like a video with the you know with the different uh uh different game balls or whatever. I think that's a nice twist. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting. Each team has their own, uh, own ball style.
1: Also, Pat McAfee is going to be one of the lead analysts on the NFL's coverage of the XFL, which starts in February of 2020. Um, Cody, I'm really excited for the XFL, mostly because I just want another league like this to, con- to succeed because the more opportunities guys get to play, the better it is for Everybody, especially with the recent news that the Arena Football League, yes, the AFL was still around, has announced that they're closing their doors. Indeed, I mean, you, you still have the indoor league. You still have the indoor league as well. So there's maybe a chance that those Arena League guys could get scooped up by the XFL. And more oppor- the more opportunities guys get to play, everybody benefits.
0: No, absolutely. And Evan, I think something interesting to watch is going to be if this can become a viable league And they are, you know, paying players and that sort of thing, you know, guys like a a Trevor Lawrence, a a guy that was so such a hot commodity after his freshman season at Clemson, you know, he's got to wait another couple of years to enter the NFL draft you know is the viability can this league become viable to the point where they can maybe try and lure some of those headline guys say hey come play professional football you don't have to stay in school you know if this league can become viable i think that's going to be something that might be interesting to watch because you'll you'll have you, you know you'll have those kids entertaining that because you'd be able to get paid uh, you'd be able to Go play professional football and then set yourself up uh, for the NFL draft. So I'm also very curious to see what happens with the XFL very curious to see how viable that league can be and i totally agree you know the the more chances we have that guys can get out and play and and show themselves off for a chance to get into the nfl the better it is for all of those people so i'm uh, i'm totally on board with you uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what the xfl can do and hoping they can uh, be, you know, become and remain viable because I think it would be great uh, for, for everyone involved if they're able to, uh, if they're able to do so.
1: And also I missed the boat on this, but I was going back and forth on whether or not I wanted to buy a ball from the AAF league. And I'm not missing that chance again. I'm getting myself an XFL ball (laughs) because I had the original black and red one when I was a kid, I waffled back and forth between buying a ball for the AAF, but now trying to find one online seems to be almost impossible outside of like the little like mini ones that come to the team. I- I'm not making that mistake again. I'm getting myself a ball.
0: There you go. make sure you uh, make sure you get yourself one and uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll be interested to see what the XFL uh, how they debut, what that looks like come February of 2020. Well, Evan, I think that's gonna do it for us here on this episode. Uh, of the From the Booth content, uh, f- wow, of the From the Booth podcast. We appreciate you all tuning in to the From the Booth podcast. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at From the Booth Pod. Uh, we, we talk about it all the time, but you can pretty much find us wherever you get your podcasts uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, basically anywhere uh, you can find the podcast. So subscribe. Uh, make sure you get the notifications from your platform uh, that let you know when we have new episodes. Uh, give us uh, do us a favor. Head over to Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. Give us a a five star rating. Drop us a comment about how you enjoy the show. Uh, if you don't enjoy the if you don't enjoy the show, just keep your mouth shut. Uh, but but other than that, go ahead. Give us a give us a rating. Drop us a comment. Uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, many of you have already done that. And that really helps us out. So we uh, we greatly appreciate that. But that's pretty much all uh, all my housekeeping stuff. Evan, thanks again for another uh, great episode. Uh, we, we are going to have a year in review episode as well. We are coordinating on that right now. Not exactly sure when it will come out, but it will come out before the first of the year. And it will be uh, in addition to our weekly episodes. So be on the lookout for our year in review episode uh, should have an announcement coming about that soon. But uh, until next time, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks, Evan, uh, for another great week. Uh, and, and once again, thank you guys for uh, listening here on the From the Booth podcast.